0: arts are everywhere and in everything. And there's a fascinating, unique person and story behind each one. And that's what The Arthropologist is all about. Exploring the arts, one unique person and one unique story at a time. I'm Bill Wilson, and I'm The Arthropologist. On this episode of The Arthropologist, we're visiting with Landam C., host of Landom Goes There, Chasing the Classics. Okay, so Landom, if you would, tell everyone about your show, um, why it got, how it got started, why it got started.
1: Well, the channel is, is called Landom See Goes There, and I uh, initially did it just uh, kind of to express my creative side. I, uh, I've always liked that. If I had everything to do over again, I would go back to college and, and be involved in film somehow. It probably would be, you know, just as some small role um, in film production, but that's not what happened. So just as a creative outlet, I started a YouTube channel about three and a half years ago. And I initially would go to uh, either either historical things or things that were important to me historically related. Um, Or I would go to filming locations. Um, That's how it originally started. And at that time, the views were very low, I I struggled with it. And I I didn't do it for money. I just did it for, you know, my own sake, I enjoyed it. Um, Then I started doing I'm a big Andy Griffith show fan. And I watch two or three episodes every day, and have always lo- loved Andy Griffith and, and Don Knotts. And so I started doing some some actual location location shot, uh, filming in in LA uh, at at the old Desilu studios and the old forty acres backlot, which uh, Lou is still there, but the forty acres backlot is long gone. Uh, but it's so, uh, I, don't, I don't know the word to describe it, but when you are standing right where the Mayberry Courthouse stood, there's something that comes over you. It's like being at Stonehenge or something, you know, it's like a, uh, or being in the Holy Land. Uh, to me, it just is, is a, a goosebump uh creating some, you know, place. And and that that kind of got it started i I ended up uh, doing really well with some of those Andy Griffiths videos and then as time went on i I thought you know there's a big interest in t v uh, trivia and shows that people grew up with in my demographic, which my demographic on on my channel is about my age i 'm sixty four um, and and there's probably, when I look at the analytics on YouTube, it looks like most of the people are between 55 and 70 that watch my channel, uh, the bulk of them. And believe it or not, the bulk of them are men. I mean, it's probably about 80% men. And and so I started turning out some of these old shows that, that were stuck in my memory, uh, just whether it be a Western or just a standard sitcom, uh, that they, they started catching on. I started doing them and, and they, they started getting a lot of views. Um, and, and as that happens, it, the way YouTube works is once you get into their favorable graces and, and their, um, algorithm, starts to recognize that people are liking your channel they'll feed it out more and it's a and nobody knows how this works um, or what makes it happen, but i'm one of the lucky ones that that is was able to to get them to start feeding my stuff out and now it's fairly easy for me to to get videos that do very well and uh and it wasn't it wasn't my intention originally to do anything, uh, to where I was looking for numbers. Uh, but it does make you feel good and makes, makes you, uh, uh, glad to do more when you're actually able to see that a lot of people are viewing them. So,
0: yeah. Well, in your work, do you, when you're doing your research, are you, uh, in touch with a lot of fan clubs, do you talk to the studios much, or you're just going online, where are you getting your research? No, uh,
1: most of it is is from online stuff that I read, uh, and when I say that, I don't mean like Wikipedia, That that is usually a good source as a start to kind of get you narrowed into things, but then I'll look for, you said fan club clubs, uh, one of the things I'll look for is, is uh, in, in doing like, let's say for example, when I do Westerns, I just, I was doing the narration just, just before we got online here. And, and there was, uh, I was doing a narration for a show called Lawman that ran from, uh, it, it was in the late, late fifties. And, uh, most people don't remember it, but it was a, it was a pretty strong Western that, uh, uh, you know, was real popular at the time. It ran for four years. Um, but the problem is there's not a whole lot of material on it. There, superficially there is. Uh, but one of the best places to find stuff on it was some of the Western sites, the people that are just so into Westerns that they can break a Western down completely for you. And, and so, uh, I, I will look for sites like that, uh um, to go off of, uh, I do have some, some reference materials that I use, uh, some actual, you know, thick books that, that, but I very seldom get into that. Um, uh, I've gotten so used to doing it online that I just don't do much actually looking at a book. Right. Well, um, i'm I'm assuming at least for t v
0: you'd be classical t v from the fifties to the seventies uh maybe yes. classic movies would be forties to the seventies um would
1: you agree with that or i would agree yeah okay yeah, that's that's the sweet spot on it yeah
0: and, and what do you think appeals is so appealing to- to that era that that um I mean, I know there are people who go to the even even the '80s, and it's real funny. I'm sure you know you and I are about the same age. And when yeah. people talk about saying old movies or classic movies, and they say, "Well, back in 1985," it's like, "Oh my gosh, I was 35, 40 years old then." Right? <laughs> but yeah, I was I was working on a second wife by then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what what do you think is so much more appealing to that era where you've got a TV show? that is 70 years old and people still love it. New people love it. People who were nowhere near born in that era.
1: Yeah. I, I think there's, um, the quality of the shows, uh, and I'm a strong believer that, that those older shows were were written so well. And even though they were in black and white, which is actually the, the, what I like to watch shows in. I I love watching black and white stuff. Uh, When you, uh, for example, when I watch, when I watch Andy Griffith in color, I just can't do it. It just does not, doesn't do the same thing for me. But I honestly think that during that time when the studio system was so strong in Hollywood, um, you saw exceptional writing and directing. I mean, so much better than you see nowadays, or even back in, you know, the eighties and nineties. Um, it's, it's obvious if you watch the Andy Griffith show and, and just look at the, and, and just pay close attention to how well it's written, how well it's directed, uh, how good the characters are in their specific settings. And you, this is not just, you know, uh, Andy Griffith I'm talking about, but it's one of the premier ones that I see that, that, that's probably the best example of that. Um, and, and they, their quality is just so far above anything else that it almost makes it timeless. And, um, you know, I get a lot of people that respond to my videos, that aren't in that age group that really like Andy Griffith or, you know, they, they like those older shows. And I, I think that's one of the reasons, you know, we're always chasing our childhood. Um, we spend our whole life trying to get out of our childhood. We can't wait to grow up. And then once we grow up, we wish we could go back there. And so I, I try to do anything that will, uh, stimulate my brain, to remember those times when I didn't have to worry about rent, when I didn't have to worry about mowing the lawn, or I did have to worry about mowing the lawn, but uh, those things that just, they they just uh, completely burden you through life, and and I think it's just that that you want to escape and go back to that. Little did you know that that you were in the perfect setting when you were living under your parents' wings and and so many of those memories that you associate with that time are from the the uh, process of watching television
0: right um is there any are there any contemporary shows that you enjoy watching
1: uh yeah very few uh i'm you know, I I I do watch uh and, and I say contemporary, the you know, I like to watch Seinfeld. I matter of fact, I watched uh some this morning of Seinfeld. But as I was watching it I, this morning, I was thinking how I was, it wasn't written very well. I, I just don't think it was written very well compared to what I like, the shows I like to See, and, and don't get me wrong. I, I, you know, it, it was, it was doing something right. You know, um, I, you know, there's dramatic things that I thought were excellent, like the Sopranos, uh, you know, for HBO. Um, but I just don't think I have anything that I really follow right now, um, that fits into, into those cats. I'd much rather, watch old stuff than the newer stuff
0: have you been able to meet very many people from classic television shows or classic no. movies
1: okay. no. no
0: if you had the chance if yeah. you had the chance most of them are not even alive today but if right. you could go back in time and you could interview anyone you wanted to who would you want to interview uh, in classic movies and classic television
1: yeah uh, well, I mean, the the obvious answer for me, you would think, would be Andy Griffith. That wouldn't be it. For me. Um, I'm uh, I'm a big Andy Griffith fan by the show, but I'm not a big Andy Griffith fan. You know, the person. Um, it would have to be Don Knotts. Don Knotts is is the reason that show was successful, there's no doubt about it. it. It wasn't successful after he left. Uh, and, and he just made the show. He made it easy for the writers to make the stuff look funny. Um, so, so that would be, you know, the, the, uh, pro- probably the, the big one that, that I, that stands out to me. I have met Betty Lynn who played Thelma Lou. Um, she's really probably the only person that I've ever met out of all these shows that I, I do. And she's a sweetheart. She lives in Mount Airy in a retirement home there. Uh, she goes to the Andy Griffith museum, uh, once a month. I think it's on the third Friday of every, every month. Now that's changed with all this COVID stuff going on, but she's just a lovely woman. And I mean, you don't even feel like you're talking to somebody that that brushed elbows with all these famous people and that was on on television and movies i mean people forget about her her classic movies that she was in but she she would be one that you know that she really stands out in my mind because she was the she's the friendliest person in the world i mean you don't feel like you're talking to a celebrity as far as movies there's you that goes on, on and on. I mean, the classic people, uh, Lauren Bacall, I, uh, you know, she just pops into my head. One that I really am fascinated with is an actress called Linda Darnell. Um, she died fairly young, died in a, in a apartment fire in Chicago. And I, she would be one that I would really want to talk to Clark Gable. Uh, you know uh, uh, it goes on and on Bill I well
0: what about I know you've you've expressed uh, interest that if you could go do it all over again that you would uh, love to have been in the movies in some some aspect yeah what would you if you know you can go back in time what job would you want and what uh tv series would you want to work on
1: Well, it would obviously be one of the, you know, the sitcoms in the, and I would say sitcoms. I, I I wouldn't want to work on Westerns uh, because a lot of their stuff is uh, there's so much second unit stuff that's, that's done in that with horses and people riding and falling off of horses and that type stuff. But the, the thing that I'm more interested in is the stuff that's shot on a sound stage. And and most of your sitcoms you know that's where the bulk of them are uh, they're shot on, a, on an actual studio sound stage right. um, and and i I just you know I really don't even know it wouldn't be anything major like like the photography behind it, or it might be something like the sound uh, i I think that would be cool i although sound is probably the the toughest thing I deal with on my channel I'm not very good at it and and i but i'm kind of fascinated by it and in the way they capture it when they you know record stuff and then the things they have to overdub and i mean i just think it's fascinating where you can you can watch it and not realize what they've done with it or it might even be in the construction industry of it you know it might be assembling sets or or wardrobe, or, you know, just something on that side of of, the business, and that's that's a fantasy, you know, that's, that's just looking at it, and think, I probably, that would probably be a tough line of work to be in, because you know, most people think you're just on a regular payroll uh, when you're doing that, and you're not, I mean, you're getting paid for working certain hours on a series. It's like, like Thelma Lou or, you know, Betty Lynn on, uh, Andy Griffiths. She was only on in 26 episodes and she didn't get paid any other time. She got paid for that one week. So she got paid for 26 weeks during the time that she was filming that episode rest of time. She didn't get anything. Uh, and she got no residuals or anything like that. Right it's pretty, it's a pretty tough way to make a living. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You gotta be, you gotta be pretty used to dead time,
0: you know? Yeah. Um, okay. Thinking about, uh, the classic shows, are there any that you feel like ran too long that they really, they sort of started running out of ideas and it would have been better had they cut it in season four instead of five or six, something like
1: that. Well, oh, I, I think you see that in almost all the popular shows. Andy Griffith uh, being a prime example of it. They, should, they originally, Andy and, and Sheldon Leonard, originally agreed to do, uh, they thought, just five years. That's what they, they thought. And, and if you'll watch after, even during that five years, you'll see them use repetitive stuff that you'll go, oh, they did that in season one. They just changed things up a little bit. Well, by the time you're into season eight, they're just, the the episodes are almost ridiculous. You know, they they aren't funny anymore. And I think you see that with Seinfeld. I think you saw that with MASH. Uh, they just ran too long. I mean, you do run out of, out of ideas. Okay. Uh, it's not endless.
0: Um on the flip side of course we've got the rural purge and yeah. I don't remember when that happened what was it like 72 or something
1: yeah yeah Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure exact date but yeah they uh, they wanted to clean house on on that yeah okay
0: so CBS goes in and they get rid of the Beverly Hillbillies Petticoat Junction uh or yeah. maybe or Mayberry RFD um kind of a couple of questions on that first of all do you think that all of those shows were cut prematurely or um it would have been you know like petticoat junction had already been going for a num quite a few years yeah were that were some of those probably cut it was good because they didn't go into that period where they were just running out of
1: ideas i i think it probably is i mean that's i understand exactly what you're saying but the the problem was they they act everything at once. So you had this, I mean, you had everything completely change in the format of what was being put on your your television set uh, for your family to view, and and you weren't seeing any of these shows. You know, it'd been nice if they'd kept a few of them, um, but you know that I mean that's that's the way it was. So those studio heads and and television heads uh they they when they decided they wanted to do something they'd do it and it didn't it didn't matter if it was right or wrong they did it anyway and we just learned to live with it so
0: well you know i i kind of wonder if it all turned out in the wash or maybe it didn't because once we lost the rural shows immediately they got mash the bob newhart show uh mary tyler moore which all of those became classics in and of themselves. I'm I'm assuming that most of the writers for the Beverly, oddly enough, people don't realize that somebody who was writing for the Beverly Hillbillies and maybe Barry RFD may have swapped right over into the Mary Tyler Moore show.
1: Yeah. And Uh, that's, that's a common thing, Bill. I mean, if you, if you look at, at your, your studio, system or your production areas like everything that was was done at Desilu uh, you know the Dick Van Dyke show, I Love Lucy, uh, I, Love Lu- I Love Lucy is kind of a different type deal because that was kind of the premiere of, of that studio really going big but as time went on that studio used a group of writers and, and actors that they just, you know, they went from one episode to the other. And you see that all the time with Gomer Pyle USMC, which was done on the 40 Acres Backlot and at Desilu. Uh, you see that with Dick Van Dyke that was done at, at Desilu. And and then you see uh, Andy Griffith that was there, but all those writers are kind of interchangeable and, and, and realize that, that those writers are not uh, most of them are, are getting paid perhaps so that they write. And and so they aren't under contract, you know, usually with with a, a television production company. So the, they're out trying to, you know, push their ideas on these people. And they get, I think they, you know, they do just develop a, a kinship. I guess what I'm trying to say is it's a very small community that does that type stuff or at least it used to be in Hollywood. And, and that's the reason you saw those writers, uh, you know, set decorators, uh, all the, the lighting people, the, uh, they were all interchangeable in this small group. And, and, uh, you see these names pop up all the time. Right. Well,
0: I'm so glad I watched an episode that someone else had done uh, last night, which helped me to formulate a question I've been trying to figure out. Um, It's your opinion on the most underrated and overrated classic TV shows. And a perfect example in my mind is My Three Sons. My Three Sons Mm -hmm. ran for 12 seasons and was incredibly popular. And yet, even among classic TV fans, you don't hear a lot about my three sons. And yet Leave It to Beaver, and I'm not making an assessment one way or another. I'm just observing that Leave It to Beaver only ran for six seasons. And yeah. yet it's it's iconic. Do you yeah. do you do you think that there are certain classic TV shows that are really underrated even by the classic fans that Really, should have another look, and then on the flip side, some classic shows that are really kind of overrated.
1: Uh, the answer is yes. I mean, there's there's no doubt about it. And you, you, the example that you gave, my three sons, is is you know one of those shows. Um, it's, I, I I mean, I don't know why that is, Bill. I I really don't. Because if you look at the quality of them, uh, they were they were done um, just as good as as Leave It to Beaver was, like you the example you gave, um, and they're very easy to watch. Uh, the I I don't know the answer to that. I really don't. I don't. You know. I guess it's just you know certain things tickle people's fancy and they. They just stick with you longer. In my mind, I don't think of my three sons as one that, you know, stands out in my head. Had you not said that, I probably would not have thought about that. Um, But it was one that I watched. But I I didn't get, I don't know, um, just completely into the the TV show, like I did with others, you know, like, like Gilligan's Island or Andy Griffiths show. I mean, I I just got into those shows and I didn't feel like I did that with my three sons. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. It's a good point you make. I mean, and what makes a hit a hit, you know, I don't know. I think a lot of, the majority of things that happen have to do with, with timing, you know, it has to be the right time to do something. Um, I know I did, I just did a a video on, on the movie, Easy Rider. And, and, you know, I watched that movie before I'd seen it years ago. And then I watched it just recently before I did the video and, and I realized, It was not a very good movie. It wasn't very well done. It was a low budget movie, made a lot of money. Um, but I think the only reason it did it was because of the time that it was put out a pretty, pretty, um, turbulent time in the, in the history of the United States, kind of like it is now. Um, but it was the late sixties and, And they also attached uh, some of the most classic music to it. And that was something that hadn't been done. And I just don't think that you could have taken that movie and flown it at any other time and had it do as well as it did during that time. It just hit that demographic that was perfect, you know, for... Right.
0: You know, I'm uh, thinking about movies. And the technique of shooting movies, um, help me out. I don't remember a lot of um, sort of cheesy uh, techniques in shooting movies back in the classic era that I see now. The, now there, I'm going to give some examples. Like right now, um, Lost. Lost, I think is one of the most clever, one of the most, the best written story arcs in movies or in TV, but it has an absurd, ridiculous camera shake nonsense that makes it where, you know, I have a TV beside my easel. And when I'm painting, I'll have, I'll be listening to television. I literally have to to, uh, turn the TV away because the camera shake is so much it's distracting. Right. It'll make me almost nauseous.
1: Right. I
0: see that constantly in, um, movies. Also the agents of shield is another yeah. show that yeah. I'm following and I think it's well-written.
1: Oh yeah. But,
0: but the lighting is horrible. They, yeah. um, it's like the poor man's film noir instead of having, great moody lighting it's just dark and i right. there can the whole scenes where you you don't you might as well be on radio right. cuz you can't see what's going on yeah okay so there's a lot of that going on now the yeah. only thing i can think of in classic movies is around the late 60s early 70s when they went into that into that sort of psychological filming where you'd have right. a, an action and then you'd zoom in tight on somebody's eyes and they oh, yeah. do that like for each character. And if you got five characters, you got an action, you got five zoom ins. Oh my gosh, that is so cheesy yeah. and wears you out. Yeah. So yeah. long introduction. Are there any techniques in the past that you're glad they don't do anymore and any that you wish would come back?
1: Not really. I think it's just the phases that you go through, you know, I, you talk about sometimes when I watch older movies, I watch, I watched the, the, a couple of months ago, I, I watched the postman on only rings twice, always rings twice. And, uh, the original one, not the, not the Jack Nicholson one, but the original one that, that had, um, Lana Turner and I forget the other actors name. that, but, um, anyway, that, I watched that and, and I loved the actual filming of it, but the writing of it, I didn't care that much for. I mean, I thought like a lot of times you'll see in older films, the writing will be more forced. I mean, they, 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 and I think it's probably because you had all these stage actors, that transitioned into movies and television, and they went, you know, stage acting is totally different than acting in front of, of a camera. You had to project yourself much more. And so that, y- you, you'll notice that a lot to where they're, you know, overreacting to things because you had to do that when you were on the stage and you don't have to do that when you're in front of a camera. It's uh, it's more of a subtle type thing that that you create a mood, and and it you know you you the people are drawn in by that. Um, I don't you know I just don't know the answer to what you're what you're saying. I understand it completely that that there's there's like cycles that we go on in, in Hollywood, you know, they, everything now is done with computers. And I hate that. I just absolutely hate it. I, I, I don't, I don't like anything that's done like that. I I wouldn't watch one of those movies. Um, I, I just would not do it because I don't enjoy them. I like the process of knowing that these people have put together some actors and put together a fake stage and created all this stuff to make us think that it's really happening. And, and whatever the flaws may be in that process and whatever current situation that they are following, you know, like you're talking about the camera moves, you know, that originally the best thing that came along for, for movies was the steady cam because they were able to to show things that were moving in a lot of different directions without the thing bouncing all over the place and now like you're talking about they want it to bounce all over the place and and so I just think it's a cycle that they get on you know that that one director of photography does and then other people see him doing it and they say oh I need to do that and then you know, 10 years from now, but they'll be doing something totally different, so.
0: Um, what do you think of remakes um, or, or the possibility of some remakes? I was watching uh, a program that was talking about that uh, they've been trying to do a, uh, everything from a live action to a new animated Jetsons series. Um, I, I remember Don Wells was one time asked about what Gilligan's Island would be like if they shot it now. And she laughed and said, well, we'd probably all be sleeping together and all that kind of
1: stuff. I've read that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you, do you have confidence that Hollywood could make a Gilligan's Island or a Mayberry or or, uh, an Andy Griffith or something like that, or a Bewitched today that would be as good as what we had originally?
1: Oh no, not at all. Not at all. I'm not a big, a big fan of remakes of of any sort. Uh, uh, the The only time I that I have, in my opinion, felt like that that worked really well, is in the movie uh, The Godfather. I mean, I thought all three of those were done fairly well, and it wasn't like you were watching, you know, a sequel or whatever. Um, but I once something you know, and that's not a true remake, but it's it's Hollywood trying to cash in on the success of something. And that's, you know, that's what they're trying to do when they do these remakes of, you know, of popular shows. I don't care for them. That's just a personal opinion, you know, of mine. I, I, I just wouldn't watch them. You know, they just.
0: Uh, one, uh, one thought I had was, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, cause you're certainly the expert on this, but, The rural purge seemed to be a real demarcation in the tone and the tenor of the writing for television shows. And it seems to me that prior to that rural purge that you really don't have politics, you don't have contemporary uh, societal things going on in the writing so that you don't have a lot of backhanded uh uh, cutting commentary on society it's just good fun entertainment to my mind that's one of the things that seems to make things like gilligan's island and uh bewitched and i dream of genie classics that you can relate to 70 years later whereas I, I admit, I enjoyed Mary Tyler Moore, I enjoyed the Bob Newhart show, but a lot of those, if you weren't growing up in the 70s with a particular type of political thing going on, yeah. you couldn't relate. right? Would, would you agree with that?
1: Oh, I do agree with you uh, completely, and and let me start and correct you. Uh, your original statement that I'm the expert—I am by no means an expert. I this is i, I am no scholar on on what I speak. I, I speak basically just from my own experiences. Um, but I I I completely agree with you that it's it's that um, cleanness that makes it so easy to watch those older shows that were in there. There there wasn't any of that disruption that you run into not that that disruption is is bad if you're in a current market and are enjoying that type of show but i just think that it makes those shows not have the the long term appeal that those shows in the 60s did you know that's my feeling i mean you look at you look at some of those classic shows like Father Knows Best, F Troop, I mean, I can, I can F Troop was just hilarious, you know, and, and uh, I, there's just so many of those that you could just go on and on that, that were just classics that are seared into your mind, and, um, and you love them because they were just that little escape that you could get into from everyday life. That didn't upset you to sit and watch them they they drew you in because they were so fun to watch okay
0: now this this is sort of almost like the lightning round i've got this little series of questions okay um what do you think was the most innovative game-changing television show of the 19 of the of the classic era if you could pick one or two that that's what really changed the industry
1: well i'm drawing a blank um that I, I mean when you're saying that that changed well i know like the industry uh, i mean i i i have to when, when i think of it in my personal aspect i think of danny thomas and i feel like danny thomas had his finger and and it was you know his original shows that were that were done that branched off into so many other shows. And, and I think he was definitely a game changer in the, in the early sitcom market, because it was, it was all of his collaborators, you know, like Sheldon Leonard and, and all those people that were involved in, in, you know, his show. And then all the shows that followed out after it, that had his name on it. So I, You know i i don't know if it's necessarily a show that did it but i i feel like it i mean the guy does not get enough credit i mean he he changed the landscape of the the and and you know one of the primary guys that that helped him do that was sheldon leonard you know
0: thank you well that's fairly interesting because i wouldn't have thought of that danny thomas was before my time i was born in 62 so even the Danny Thomas show that wasn't really running in syndication too much when I was a kid. Um, But my first thought was going to be Desi Lou because of all of the changes that um, Desi Arnaz did with the three camera shoots and so forth.
1: Yeah, you're right. I mean, Bill, that's, that's correct. I mean, if you wanted to really go back and look at it, you know, that, that couple of, Lucy and Desi. Desi was brilliant. I mean, he was, he was a brilliant guy, and and he, that's the reason he owned Hollywood in the fifties. He and he and Lucille Ball. They they could name their price on anything, and that's uh, that they, they were the originators of that. But I guess you know, talking about what, and I don't get me wrong. I love I love Lucy. I, I think it's great great comedy, uh, but where I really, st- I was born in 56, so I really started watching, you know, things like the Andy Griffith show, Leave it to Beaver, you know, during, during that time, and so that's what I see as, as the things that are in my mind, you know, that are important, but if you want to look at the, you know, the, the guys, and that's a good point, desi arnaz was was the first one there but as far as the way it branched out in the end of the 60s i think you had to put it put it on danny thomas i I really do
0: wow fantastic um okay this is gonna be a tough one um movies or television who do you think was the top two greatest uh, uh directors during the classic time classic era Oh
1: boy, that is a tough one. If you, I mean, I can, there's all sorts of different types of directors. I think as far as a Western goes and, and I'm not that big of a spaghetti Western fan. Uh, I do like them. Uh, but you have to say Sergio Leone. Uh, this guy is a master at without any words being spoken, being able to take a camera and make you feel like you're sitting in the sand and dirt and, and sweat and heat that, that all his actors are experiencing. I've never seen a guy that was, was able to do that. Um, as far as, as far as you know, during that classic time, I'm really having trouble coming up with somebody that that just stands out. There, I mean, there are so many of them uh, that that stand out. Now, I'm going to really throw you a curveball on this one because this is who I feel like is probably the best director of all time. And oddly enough, I don't think I've ever done a video on on any of his stuff because it's it's so controversial and and it it uh, you know it's just uh, it's uh they're they're just films that are are hard to watch I guess <laughs> is is what I what I want to say um, and and what I'm think what I'm t- actually talking about is Stanley Kubrick, and Stanley Kubrick, you know, no matter what end of the spectrum you're on, is, is without a doubt, as far as directors go, you will never see anybody that gets more absorbed into what he's doing, and puts more into, you know, his films. Um, I, I just, I don't particularly like his films, but I like his direction. I mean, it just blows me away to look at the detail that he goes to because he was a weird guy. I mean, he's a strange guy, no doubt about it. Uh but as far as, as classic directors, I think he's one of the best. I mean
0: What about character actors? Who who in the classical era because you've done some stuff on some of the great character yeah, actors? And that's
1: that's a that's another, you know, really tough one. I there there are just so many classic ones. I, um, I, I should have, I should have glanced at a few of them before we did this, this interview to try to try to think of some of them. Um, but there's a, there's just so many that I can't even, uh, you know, slim, slim I love slim Pickens. He, uh, you know, as far as a Western guy, he was, he was a great one that just stands out. Um, the, uh, i 'm drawing a blank on some of the names right now because i 'm not sitting here looking at them. I can see their faces um, jack elam jack Elam's a classic example you know with he 's one that that uh, you know you can just look at him and and you feel his character uh, with that wayward eye that he has um, and then there's you know there's uh, there 's just tons of of other ones that i 'm sure I could rattle off. I'm just not looking at them right now. Right, right. <laughs> so it's really um, hard to pull them up, you know. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I, and I've done numerous things on on different character actors. I'll, I'll tell you, I can tell you who who comes off as my best character actor of all time is somebody that's current day, and and most people may not even know who he is who he is. It's a guy named Steven Root, and um, this guy can morph into more characters. Uh, take take a chance and type in his name into Google, and you will be blown away by the different people that that he has played, and you you don't even know it was him. I mean, that's the real thing. Is there's two ways a character actor can can do it, and I I think they they they're good on on two different levels like if you you take a character actor and he looks the same in every show he's in but he's able to change into a different character that is an amazing thing for me to think that my brain can process seeing this guy or this girl in multiple shootings of different different things, whether it be a movie or television show, and, and my brain sees it as the same person, but I don't interpret it that way. The guy is acting like a different character. He's just a, uh, that's the actor of him. Um, And then you can, you have these character actors that actually morph uh, from one character to the next, and you have trouble realizing that that was them in that previous show and steven root is is one of those see look him up you'll uh you'll be blown away by by some of the stuff he's in you see him all the time and he's probably one of the most widely used character actors and has been for the last 20 years but you you he's not a big name on the screen okay
0: where do you see your channel going in the in the coming years
1: uh, I, I see it just, uh, continuing to, you know, there's such a ton of these shows that I haven't even touched the surface yet. Um, well, and I was
0: also wondering, uh, I've been watching your cemetery, uh, videos. Yeah. And, yeah. um, uh, uh, I'm, I'm looking at my notes right here, you know, like the black angel and, yeah. uh, is it faithful companion, the dog, the skull? Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and then, of course, I love the TWA Captain Test Rake. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. thought all of those were good, and I was wondering, yeah. are you branching into that, or is that going to be another? Uh... No, that was more earlier stuff.
1: Oh, okay. Did. And and, um, and I love that kind of stuff, but you, what you have to realize is is I can do so many more of of those videos like I'm doing now, that are more related to sitcoms or you know classic television or movies uh, than I can of those because those require me to go someplace, right? And and I I normally will would travel for six months doing those things. Uh, you know I'm, I might be in L.A. I might be in in uh, Iowa I might be in Florida I might be in North Carolina. And all that eats up money, you know, that that it's not cheap to do, you know, in other words, to go to those places. I love going to them. I mean, it, it's, I'm a big cemetery guy. I love going and seeing uh, the graves of, of famous people. I, I don't know why. I find it relaxing and calming. And uh, it uh, it's just, it's neat to think that you're sitting there, you know, standing right next to somebody that's, you know, was an influence on your life in television or movies or whatever it might be, or like that, you know, the, the, uh, Drake, uh, like him, uh, that, that was just neat to sit there and think that that guy, uh, during the eighties, uh, was, was on the news for about a month straight, you know, and, and I remember seeing the pictures Uh, you know, on the paper, he made every, every headline with, with him, with his head hanging out the window of the plane, you know, with a gun to it, you know, and without his calmness, they probably, that probably would have not ended up as well as it did, you know? Okay. But I, I love all that kind of stuff. It's just more practical. I can generate more videos by doing things that I don't have to travel as much on. So That doesn't mean I'm not going to travel and do it. Matter of fact, I'm probably going to be going to LA uh, pretty soon and doing some filming over there. But, um, okay.
0: All right. Well, that's really kind of it for me. Was there anything else you wanted to share? Tell anybody, tell everybody about your show?
1: No, I, uh, I just, uh, if you like classic television, I try to, you know, cover the stuff that a person my age uh, grew up with. Uh, Like I said, I'm, I'm 64. And, uh, and so if you kind of fit into that category, you might, might give my channel a glance and, uh, and hopefully you'll enjoy it. All right. Like I said, I, I'm not an expert by any means, but just a guy that enjoys doing videos and, and my channel is growing so much right now. I mean, it, um, I I'm sure by the end of this year, I will have reached a hundred thousand subscribers. I'm at I'm at about sixty two right now, and I'm I'm gaining about seven or eight thousand a month, uh, and and it, that keeps going up. So, I once you reach that plateau of a hundred thousand subscribers, that's that is that's where YouTube really recognizes you and. And they're feeding my videos out a lot right now. And and when I reach that, the uh, 100,000, it'll it'll be even greater. So I'll be able to reach a greater greater audience than I am now.
0: I love doing it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Landon. I've enjoyed it and just appreciate you so much. And uh, good luck. Good luck with your 100,000.
1: Glad to do it. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. Thank you so much.
0: All right. right. I'm Bill Wilson, and I'm the Arthropologist. If you enjoyed this episode of the Arthropologist, there are more episodes on YouTube. To see my work, you can visit my website, BillWilsonStudio.com, where I have my books, prints, and originals for sale. I'm a portrait painter and illustrator, and there you can contact me about commissioned work. I'm Bill Wilson, and I'm the Arthropologist.